Welcome to the Global Missions, Inc. podcast. Today's episode features Andy Snoke. I want to talk about some wonderful things tonight. We're going to, if you will, open your Bibles up to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be spending most of our time in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is a a very important book. Every book in the Bible is important. Uh, But tonight I'm going to use it as kind of a springboard to talk about a lot of different subjects contained within the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is not just some old, dusty, historical book. In the New Testament, there are 27 books in the New Testament, 17 of them quote from the book of Deuteronomy. The The word Deuteronomy means the words. Jesus quoted more from the book of Deuteronomy than he did any other book. The book of Deuteronomy, which Moses gave to the children of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land, is a wonderful book when you look at it from the light of us today standing on the very tiptoe of entering in fully into that promised land that God has given us. Before the children of Israel entered into that land, he rehearsed what God had promised all through the years through those 40 years of wandering, to prepare them to possess the promised land. He was speaking to a new generation at that time because all of the older generation had passed away. And they were facing some problems. Some of the things, as Moses addressed them, that the children of Israel were facing, they were facing war, they were facing temptations, they were facing a new and settled way of life, all under the leadership of Joshua. Moses' congregation here had not personally experienced the deliverance of the Red Sea or the giving of the law at Sinai, and they needed to be reminded of God's powers and God's laws. This is a generation that wasn't there in the beginning, and they needed to be informed of the landmarks that God had laid, very much like us today. You know, I thought it was interesting... I, number one, I should say this, I was very inspired by the service this morning, the service last night, all of the services, and the references to what God has been doing. And, you know, we use the term, if you're fairly new here tonight, uh, we use the term the move of the Spirit a lot, and that's because we don't know what other word to use. So we refer to it as the move of the Spirit. The Lord made it clear that we shouldn't put a name on ourselves. So what do you call yourselves? So we started calling ourselves a move of the Spirit. But as someone said, the move of the Spirit didn't start in 1948. It started the day that the Holy Spirit moved over the face of the earth and started the work of creation. It started the day when God said, let us make man in our own image. That was the beginning of the move of the Spirit. In 1948... It was a huge stepping point, a huge step was taken, and we are enjoying the fruits of that revival, and we're going to talk about that as we move forward. Brother Robert touched on the different revivals of the past, 19, he can quote the years, 1906 and 1904 and 1859 and 1948, and there's been revivals before that, and Brother, uh, Brother Miller's a great historian, but every revival, you know what, you know what the revivals have been? They've been stair steps, that's what they've been. 
You know, you pick the date. I don't care how far back you want to go to a great move of God all over the world. It was like mankind took one step above, one more step above where they were. And then time would go by, sometimes only 50 years. Time would go by, there'd be another great worldwide revival. Man would step up one more step. What's interesting, every time God would move to another step, there would always be men that were back here on this step and said, this is it, this is it. This thus far and no more. And there were others that went from that step to the next step. And after that step, God would move and teach things and time would go on. And there'd be another great move of the Spirit. And men would step up another step to bring us to the point that we're at today. We want to move forward into the full move of God. We want to move forward into the fullness of what God has for the church today. Amen? We never want to stay in one place. We want to be moving with that Holy Spirit in the direction of the Lord. In 1948, there was a great revival that took place right here on these grounds, as you're, most of you are all aware. And I want to ask a question here. This is kind of interesting. In 1948, I'd like to ask those that were involved in the revival in 1948, or were touched by it within the first five years, let's say, roughly, of 1948, would you stand for just a moment, please? If you were here, or within the first five years... Okay, just remain standing for a little bit here. Number one, folks, we owe these people a great debt. They carried the lamp. They carried the light for us. They were faithful so we could be here today. They were as close to an eyewitness as we have of the last step, if you will, of the, of the last revival. And by the way, folks, younger people, uh, these people are treasures. We call people uh, senior citizens. I, I thank God for the senior citizens we have in the church. They have lived life. And Amen? Amen. They have lived life, and they have a thing or two that they can teach all of us. And I thank God for every one of them. And I would also encourage you young people, get to know some of these faces and folks that are standing right now. There's a lot of things that they can share with you. Okay, you can be seated for a moment. These are people that were actually there that tasted what God did in 1948. But you will notice there's a lot of us that were not there, were we? We weren't there. We are a lot like the book of Deuteronomy. God is saying, get ready to enter in. And there's a whole lot of us that weren't around there. We were not eyewitnesses, just as the children of Israel that I'm reading to you about were not eyewitnesses. That's why he took this book and rehearsed to them some things that that, uh, some things seem to be simple, but some important truths Important nuggets related, all related to entering into the promised land. So everything we're going to discuss tonight is related to entering into that place. The Old Testament, there's the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. But we have found in the move of the Spirit, the Old Testament is not old and dry, it is alive. Amen? The New Testament is alive. The Old Testament is alive. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. The New Testament is in the Old Old Testament contained. The Old Testament 
as in the New Testament, explain. Only by the Holy Spirit is this thing tied together and the entire book becomes alive and on fire. And tonight, we're going to walk through selected verses in the book of Deuteronomy. Let's go to Deuteronomy, the first chapter. It says this, These be the words which Moses spoke unto all of Israel on this side on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain against the Red Sea. These are the words, on this side of the promised land. We have not fully entered into something. The answer here, the story is, here is, there is something to enter into. And he spoke to us these words. On this side, he explains to them how it's 11 days journey to Kadesh Barnea in the second verse. And I'll skip all the way to the sixth verse. And the Lord our God spoke unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites and so forth. I can almost hear God saying, Church, you've been here long enough. Church, you've been in this place long enough. God is beginning to say that, that it's time to move on. The Lord has to move. We, and we'll talk about that later. You can't make things happen. We can only be faithful. We can only follow Him as He leads us. Things are changing quickly in the world scene. Things are changing historically and radically and quickly in the entire world in our lifetime. In just in the last few months, the world has changed so rapidly and it is changing rapidly. And the church and God at the same time is, I can almost hear Him saying, Church, you don't fully understand what I'm going to do, but get ready. Be prepared. Be faithful for me to move. You've dwelt long enough in this mount. Verse 8, he says, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, give unto them to their, and to give unto them and to their seed. And I spoke to you at that time saying, well, I'll stop right there a minute. Verse 8, he says, he set the land before us. There is a promised land right in front of us. He says, I put it there. I promised to you from the very beginning, from the time I said, let us make man in our own image. I placed a land before you. It is yours to enter into. I find this very significant, the next handful of scriptures, everything's significant. But immediately... Immediately, in preparation to enter into the promised land, this is interesting. The first thing he said is this, Moses says, And I spoke unto you at that time, and I said, I'm not able to bear you myself alone. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven. Uh, verse 12, How can I myself alone bear your burden and your burden of strife? Take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And you answered me and said, The thing which thou hast spoken is good for us. So I took of the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, captains over fifties, captains over tens, and officers among your tribes. I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man. Verse 17, You shall not respect persons in judgment. But you shall, re you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. What he's saying in all of these scriptures is this, in essence, explains it more in the book of Deuter uh, Numbers. 
He began to set an order in the church. And I'm going to use the word elders. He began to set elders. This was, if you will, the beginning of this new order. He began to set shepherds. He began to set judges in the church to oversee the administration. That's the first thing that he did. You notice it wasn't a democracy. It wasn't just voting the most popular. He began to set men in place to hear and to judge and to, and to help the people and to shepherd the people. That is significant. As you know, in the beginning of 1948, one of the teachings that came alive was the, was the teaching of the apostolic ministry, the fivefold ministry, how God is working through those gifts today, and how the Lord began to administrate and set local elders and all of the local churches. And I understand when that happened, obviously I wasn't there, but when that happened, it was very unpopular. There's a lot of people that could not leave what they had. They couldn't leave the old system, the old man-made system. And number one, I want to say this, I am not judging pastors. Please don't misunderstand me. But God has called us to have shepherds in the church. And there were many people that couldn't leave the thing that they owned. This is not something that we own. This is something that we are workers together. And God began to establish elders in the church. You know, we can't change God's pattern, can we? We have to do everything according to the pattern, even, even if it is unpopular. He goes on to say in verse 21, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. Verse 22, you came near unto me, every one of you, and you said, We'll send men before us to search us out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up into what city and we shall come. And they took twelve tribes and they sent them into the promised land to spy it out, to see what was there. In verse 25, they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and they brought it down unto us and they brought us word again. And they said, It's a good lamb which the Lord our God hath given us. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. They began to complain. Verse 27, You murmured in your tents, and you said, Because the Lord hated us, He hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakins there. Here's what happened. The spies went in. They saw the land. They said, yep, it's got wonderful, wonderful fruit. They brought back a foretaste. They brought back the, the taste of the fruit. People could actually eat it, could taste it and say, yeah, the fruit in that new land is really wonderful. But it really isn't for us. It's too much. There are giants in that land. We cannot enter that land. That's what they said. They came back and told Israel, you can't do it. But, you know, there were people, there was a Joshua and there was a Caleb that says, we are well able to enter into that land. We live in a day and an hour when a big part of the Christian world, and God bless every one of them, they like to talk about the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, all of the fruit, the gifts of the Spirit. These things are good. But to believe that we can enter into that land in the here and now, sometimes we have, we have multitudes of people that are waiting for the pie in the sky when you die. We have multitudes of people that are waiting for the, the great snap of the fingers and the disappearing of the church. And God bless every one of them. There is a place where before, as I've said before, before the great evacuation, there was a great visitation. 
And that is the thing that God has called us to look forward to. We don't stand here saying it is impossible. It is impossible to partake of these things. We stand here and say we have tasted of the fruit and we are well able to enter into that land. There is more before us than there is behind us. There is, it is all before us to have the faith to believe that he has called us to enter into this place. You know, I've heard a couple of people mention something that's been on my heart from the very beginning, actually from the time I was 14 years old. The day is going to come. The day is going to come and has to a degree already that we, our different brethren, are going to stand here and worship and lead in singing. And you're going to sing. We're going to sing and praise God. And there will be people that will be healed right where they're standing, not because of anything that someone said, but because the presence of God is in this place. That day is here, and we, is, we want to enter into that into a far greater measure than what we have. The land is before us. We are well able to enter that land. We must believe that we can enter into that land. The Lord told them that he was with them and bore them as a son, he says here. But then he told them in verse 35, Surely there shall not one of these men of this generation see that good land which I swore unto your fathers, except Caleb and Joshua. Boy, I hope the Lord never says that to us. I hope the Lord never says, you didn't believe. I'm going to have to start over again. There's one thing I'm going to guarantee to you. When God is done, He will have a people in His image. And you know, we have a choice. We have a choice. We have been called to walk with Him, and your choice is either walk with Him or don't walk with Him. But He will still have a people. He, how do I say it? He needs you, and He doesn't need you. He needs you, and He'll, He'll use you, and you're privileged to be called. But if you're unfaithful, He'll call somebody else. He will have a people after Him and after His own name following Him. We don't want to be as those that did not believe. Chapter 2. Verse 2, And the Lord spoke unto me, saying, You have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward, northward. He's going to say that many more times. Many more times he's going to encourage them and say, You've been there long enough. It's, you've been here long enough. It's time to move forward. And you know, folks, myself, I can't wait. I can't wait to move forward. Can you? Isn't there something in your heart that... As much as you appreciate what we have, you're hungry for more. You know, the Lord, it's a funny thing. The Lord is like going to a buffet, but the more you eat, the hungrier you are. The more you partake of the Holy Spirit, the more you partake of the good things of God, the more you want to say, give me more, Lord. We want more of you. Your presence to come and saturate us and be with us. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, Deuteronomy. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord God which I command you. He's saying, what is he saying? And he will say this many times. What he's saying is, be faithful. Simply be faithful. Don't add to it. And don't take away from it. I have to say, and I thank God, the brethren that God has used us, has given us, and, and the brethren that many have talked about that aren't here tonight, that God has promoted and taken to heaven with Him. They have been faithful. 
They have been faithful to teach and follow simply what God gave them to do. They have not added to it. They have not taken away from it. Even though some of the things we have may not be popular, it's not our place to add to it. We cannot improve upon the pattern that God has set. It is not our job to change that pattern. And he begins to warn them, and he he warned them many times the same way, to don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away away from it, but keep the commandments that your Lord your God has commanded you. It's very important to be obedient, obedient to the Lord. Verse 7, the fourth chapter. For what nation is there so great? Who hath God so close unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we can call upon Him for? Isn't that wonderful? Who, who can have God that close that we can call upon Him? And what nation is there so great that, that they have statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? By the way, Brother Lloyd David, who many of you don't know, most of you don't know him, is a traveling deacon in Guyana. South America, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful brother, just a plain Jane, ordinary man that's on fire for God, that's faithful to the Lord, as simple as that. He was, uh, he sent a little email last night. Uh, he's learning how to email, and they had a meeting in Paprika or something like that. I always mispronounce it. But he said they got together, and they didn't do any preaching, he said. There was no ministering from the Word. All they did was pray for one another for healing and for a touch of God. And there was a Muslim that was there that came and gave her heart to the Lord. Well, that's really something, folks, for a Muslim to be in a meeting and give their heart to the Lord like that. But what was going on there? He was part of that nation that has God so near that we can call upon Him. And they knew that night that they could call upon Him as we do here. Verse 8, What nation is there so great? They have statues and judgments and so righteous is all the law which I set before you this day. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and to thy sons' sons. Remember these things. A lot of these things I'm going to say are going to be repetitious. A little bit later I may get into some things that might be a little... Um, uh, uh, are a little different, more than just repetitious to, to deal with civil laws. But over and over, he keeps saying, he prefaces by saying, be obedient. Remember what God did. Don't throw it away. Remember the ancient landmarks. Verse 10. Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live upon the earth that they may teach their children. In chapter 4, he is already beginning to talk about children. We're going to read that a little bit more in chapter 6. But he's beginning to tell them, hand these things down to your children and have those children hand those things down to your children. You know, we can virtually say, I told you, I asked those that were here from 1948 and with the first five years to stand up. We can virtually say most of us are here that didn't stand up because they taught their children And their children taught their children. We were taught by somebody else, weren't we? Many of us that are in this room. It is so important to hand these things down to your children. In fact, I was uh, blessed the other day. Well, we'll get to that in a minute here. Let's go to the fifth chapter. Fifth chapter of Deuteronomy. Fifth chapter of Deuteronomy. He begins to, he gives them the Ten Commandments. And uh, we're not going to go into all of that. 
But, you know, we are to follow the Ten Commandments. A society that would follow the Ten Commandments would be blessed today. Our nation, your nation, the world has gotten so far away from following the Ten Commandments. I'm just going to touch on one tiny area. I'm not going to harp on it. But in the fifth chapter, verse 18, uh, verse 17, Thou shalt not kill. And what I want to say about this is something that we almost never talk about, but I do want to mention it, and that is the word abortion. We're not uh, uh, like a lot of radical people and having demonstrations on abortion. But abortion, well, let's take a minute here. Maybe let's read about what, what that is. I'm going to read to you out of Jeremiah, the first chapter, the fifth verse first. I'll read this to you. Jeremiah 1.5 says this. This is God speaking, speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. When that Jeremiah was a tiny wee bitty baby, weeks old, God said, Jeremiah, not only do I know you, I've already called you for a mighty work. I'm going to say this. Abortion is murder. Taking a life, an innocent, the most innocent of lives, a fetus, a baby that can't protect themselves. Is abortion a problem in the, in the world, in the United States? This is nine years ago. Things have changed since then. There were 1.3 million annual abortions. That was nine years ago. Women from 15 to 19, out of every 1,000 women, 83 of them have had abortions. The number one surgical procedure in the United States and Canada is abortion. Abortion is not birth control. And I just need to say that because we live in a time period when our politicians, our politicians and your politicians treat this as nothing more than a political group of people to gather votes from. And folks, it's wrong. Yes, there may be some cases, the life of the mother and so forth, and you have to consider, but I think from time to time, you know, we don't want to be conformed to the world, even if it's politically incorrect. Now, moving on to the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, he begins to talk about these things. The sixth chapter, he says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments that the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land, whether you go to possess it. He says that, you, that thou mayest fear the Lord thy God to keep all the statutes and his commandments which shall command you, you and your son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that thy days may not be prolonged. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment. That's number one. Love the Lord thy God. Fall in love with God. Fall in love with Jesus. And these words, verse 6, which I command you this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be a shrunkless between thine eyes. 
What he's saying is these are the precepts again. Remember them. And then he's, what he's saying again is repeating himself. Teach them to your kids. You know what I have found? There's a couple ways to teach your children. Number one is a family altar. A time period where you gather together and read the scriptures and read a story. And the other way is all day long bring Christ into everything that you do. Everything that you do. You know, you, you walk with your son or daughter and you see a sunset, say, isn't it wonderful how God painted that picture? How he made that sunset. If your son or daughter sees a beautiful bird and comments on it, say, isn't it something how that, how God created that beautiful bird? Bring God into everything that you do. Your kids will remember that. They will remember that. I may have shared this before, but I was blessed uh, a year ago. My, we, we did that to our kids. We revealed the Lord to them. Uh, we made it fun. We talked about God all the time. We didn't preach to them. The Lord was our friend. They've grown up and both sons have kids. And about a year ago, I think it was, uh, one of my sons has an, had an eight-year-old at that time. And he had taught his son the, the, the Easter story. He had taken a little children's Bible story and read the Easter story and told him about the resurrection and, and made it simple to him. And then in their baby, in the baby's room, he was about a year and a half old at that time, little Logan, they have one of those monitors that you put in the baby crib so you can hear the baby if he's crying or waking up. And early Easter morning, my son and his wife are in bed and the baby monitors is on and they hear some rustling noise. They hear some noise in little Logan's room. And what had happened, they heard it as it played out on the little radio. The older brother, Carson, climbed into the little baby bed with his little baby Bible and read him the Easter story to his little brother. Now, that just blessed me when I heard that. Why did he do that? Because he had a daddy that read him the Easter story. And now he had a little brother that he loved. And he wanted his little brother to hear the Easter story. It's handed down that way. That's how you hand these things down. You teach them to their children, and they teach them to other children. Verse 14, 6th chapter. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. You know, and we don't, we don't do that. God uh, has told us to don't chase other gods. You know, the world... The world is chasing other gods every day. You don't even realize it. By the way, and I'm not going to get my, my wife told me, Andy, don't get political. So I'm not going to, not going to be political. But I will say this. <laughs> well, I, I'll be very careful. But we live in a day today. Everyone's talking about global warming. By the way, you read a book of Revelation, you'll find out that no matter what we do, isn't going to make a, a difference. But nevertheless. Uh, but you hear about global warming, and it's good to be, it's good to be conscientious. It's good to make good decisions. But the world today is worshiping this earth. In California, we lost 80,000 jobs in this recession because there's this little minnow, this little minnow that was going to the brooks that they were trying to protect so the farmers had to quit using the water. And 80,000 people lost their jobs. We are worshiping the earth today. The, the nations of the world are placing gods before God. He says you shall not go after other gods. Uh, as you and I sit here today, and none of us are caught up in this, but I'll just mention it only as an example. We, uh, has anybody heard the news? Maybe you haven't heard this. Did you know that Michael Jackson died? Anybody hear that? <laughs> 
I don't know if, if you heard that or not. You, you really, you know, but if you turn on television, on the radio, the newspapers, all about Michael Jackson, and I'm not going to judge him. That's not what I meant. But, uh, by the way, it makes me feel better. I felt bad about my bank account until I realized I'm $500 million ahead of Michael Jackson. He was in debt, in debt, $500 million. So I'm that much more ahead of him. But nevertheless, you turn on TV and they're, 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 they're worshiping this pop idol right now. It could be anybody. You all know there's different, uh, very popular people that have died that the world has given them great, uh, uh, has worshiped them. But we don't. I remember I was in California with Brother, uh, uh, Price, uh, Brother, uh, Oldridge. And you know how Brother Oldridge loved Brother Charles S. Price, uh, excuse me, our dear brother Charles S. Price. Remember how he loved him in his writings? He was a great man, Brother Charles S. Price, our dear brother Charles S. Price. And uh, I was at Forest Lawn Cemetery with Brother Oldridge. This is where they're burying Michael Jackson. And uh, he wanted to find our dear brother Charles S. Price's uh, stone. So we came up to the guard and we rolled down the window and he says, excuse me. Uh, Brother Oldridge, he says, can you tell us where the dear brother Charles S. Price is buried? Now, in Forest Lawn Cemetery, there are thousands of people buried. And it didn't dawn on Brother Oldridge, says, not everybody knows who Charles S. Price is. And the guard sure didn't. So he looked it up and he showed us, told us where it was. So we went over this hill and we had to walk around and we see this giant uh, tombstone and, and fancy stuff. And it was Charlie uh, Chap- Chaplin. And there were some other ones of famous stars and lots of, you know, huge monuments and different things that, so that people can come and still worship them, you know, while they're gone, I guess. But then finally we find this little plate, this little plate, Charles S. Price. You know, his treasures were in heaven. We don't worship people. This man that impacted the world when he left, he didn't want to leave anything fancy behind because he's not here. We don't worship other gods. And be careful that you don't. Verse 18, And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest go in and possess the good lamb which the Lord swore unto thy fathers. He talks about it again. Seventh chapter. We're going to get into a little bit more meat here. We'll touch on some things. He talks about verse 3. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto this son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me. From following me, uh, and they will, that they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. He begins to simply to talk about keep yourself pure, don't intermarry. Now, what he means by intermarry is don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's beginning to touch on marriage a little bit. He talks about it more before. This is an area that I thank God that God has spoken to us a lot about is the marriage relationship. Marriage, the home, this is something that from the very beginning there's been a lot of teaching in how important the home is. The home is the beginning, isn't it? That's the foundation. That's the ABCs of everything that God is doing is a relationship in the home. And it starts by you young people in your dating years asking God, number one, to direct you and looking for a godly boy or girl to go with. By the way, camp is a great place to meet other people and young people's activities. It's a great place to meet other people. But pray about your relationship with other, with the opposite sex. Start things out right. Start things right. Don't try to change things later. 
Start things out right. Start out on the right foundation in your dating and in your prayers. You know, I didn't date much. And when I was young, my prayer was, Lord, please lead me to the right girl. Lead me to the right girl. Lead me to the right girl. And uh, I went to a wedding, and I met this girl, and I married her, and we've been married 34 years. But God led me and directed me. But, by the way, I should say this. I married her. We dated for a few weeks. And one day I said, she was going to in different churches, I said, I would like you to come to my church. And I want, I want to see what you think about it. Our church at that time was a half a dozen people meeting in a living room. It was still church. It was still the pattern. I decided I'm going to bite the bullet right now. If she runs away, she runs away, but now is the time to know. She came. Somebody prophesied. It kind of unnerved her just a little bit. But she came back the next week, and she kept coming, and she hasn't quit. But you reach out. Don't be afraid to bring somebody to church. Don't be afraid. It is the Spirit of God, young people, that is speaking to them. And it's important to do things right. Uh, the fifth chapter of Ephesians, 22nd verse says, these are very familiar scriptures, but it says, Why submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord? He speaks to the women about submitting to their husbands. And and uh, uh, then he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle. Or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. These scriptures are really powerful. I'm just touching them really quickly. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it. Even as the Lord, the church, we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Read those scriptures when you're at home. Those are very important. Put work into your marriage. I don't care how long you've been married, put work into it. It takes work. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen, and it is worth it. And it takes two people to make it happen. Sometimes, I've, I've said this before, if you have some problems, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be too embarrassed or too proud to tell one of the local elders that, I need some help. Will you talk to me about this? Invest time, energy, money in your home. There's nothing like a good home. Nothing on the face of the earth like a good home. There was a couple that went to marriage counseling that were having that problem. There's differences between men and women, as you all know. And they went to marriage counseling, and the man, the woman says, I have problems with my husband because he, he never shows me that he loves me. He just never shows me that he loves me. You know, I, he doesn't know how to communicate that. And the counselor was working with him and trying to explain to him how to show love and Finally, the counselor got fed up, and he reached over and grabbed the man's wife and gave her a great big kiss. He said, Sir, you need to do that three times a week. And he thought about it. He said, Okay, I'll bring her back Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 
nevertheless, you need to work at it. Put time and effort into your marriage. There's some things you have to be careful about. I'll throw this at you too. Uh, husbands and wives, men and women, be careful, very, very careful, about relationships with people of the opposite sex. I think men ought to have a bunch of men friends. Women ought to have a bunch of women friends. Men shouldn't have women friends. Women shouldn't have men friends. You have friends that are your brother here. Eighty percent of people that leave a spouse for someone else is with a co-worker. Eighty percent of that. You know, you don't want to play emotional striptease with people at work. Put a wall up. A barrier. I've talked about that before. You put that safety net there. There was a woman looked at her husband one day. She said, honey, how come you're not wearing your wedding ring? He said, well, it cuts off my circulation. She said, that's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> so you need to be careful in those relationships. Cut it off. Cut off that relationship, the circulation. I, I've shared this before years ago. When I used to work at Caterpillar when I was young, there was a lot of men and women in the office and a lot of divorces and, and affairs and so forth. And it, it, it never came close to me because I had a wall up. But one of the things that I did, I used to work with a lot of young women like the other men in the office did. And there's one thing that I purposely, purposely did, and people probably get tired of it. And that's whenever I was around a woman or she was around me for a while, I started talking about my kids and my wife. I started telling, them, telling her something that my kids did or my wife did and something that was cute and so forth. You, you know what? What was I communicating? I was commu communicating that I'm offline. I'm not available. Do not apply here. You know? And you've got to be careful about those things. I realize that sounds silly, but we have to be careful about that. If you're having troubles in your marriage, there's different things that you can do. But stick it out. We really work hard. We really work hard, work hard at trying to marry, trying to make a marriage work. Stick it out. There's some things that time, just time will heal. I read a statistic the other day. And it said something like two thirds of people that were interviewed that got married, got divorced, and got remarried, which they hadn't left the first one. And also, I read another report. This was not a Christian, not done by a group of Christians either. They interviewed people in their marriage and found a group that were unhappy, and then they came back a number of years later, and what they found was the ones that were unhappy, if they had stuck it out five years, they tended to be happy. Just pure time. Just time. Just learning to stay together, longevity, and work it out. Now, what do I mean by that? We started off earlier with Mr. and Mrs. Chocolate and Vanilla. Joe, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. Don't want to get in trouble with the musicians. We started off with some cold vanilla, its own personality, its own unique flavor, uniqueness to it. And then we, we have chocolate. Same thing, totally different flavor, totally different. Its own uniqueness, its own flavor, cold, individual, two individuals. We put them together here. We pronounced a man and wife. We left them alone a little bit. We gave them some time to work some things out. You, you really can't see it very well here. But slowly, they're yielding their personality, their flavor, 
their uniqueness, they're slowly yielding it to each other's. They're, they're slowly, not, not like that, they're blending together. And it, and it isn't, boom, it's not like a pronounced man and wife is over. It's, it's taken a little bit of time. In this case, it's taken a few minutes. In life, it takes sometimes years. But the longer we wait here, the, the, the less and less of the individual personality you'll even see, and pretty soon it's Priscilla and Aquila. It's two people mentioned together as chocolate and, and vanilla. There, there's a blending together. There's a blending, to get, blending together when we get married. There's a blending together when we learn to yield ourselves to one another, when we, when we learn to follow the pattern of the Scriptures. Uh, I almost wonder if that Scripture, when it says the two shall be one, I almost wonder if it should say the two uh, become one over a period of time. You are one, but you can become more and more and more one. Now, here's a, here's a problem we have with divorce. And yes, we recognize that sometimes it does happen. I'll even use this word for legitimate reasons, if I can say that. And I, I won't go into all those things, but for instance, we wouldn't want someone to be in a home where their, where their, their life is in danger and so forth. But, but here's the problem. I've got some chocolate and vanilla up here. They're slowly blending together. They're slowly becoming one. They're slowly becoming inseparable. Now, if you were to tell me now, would you separate Mr. Chocolate and Mr. Mrs. Vanilla? It's so hard to do now. Now it's complicated. Because they've mixed together, because, because they're becoming one. How do you separate someone that's become one? It becomes painful. It becomes difficult. It becomes almost impossible. Even though you can give a, a bill of divorcement, there's pain. There's hurt. Because they've become one. This is, this is the thing. Learning to yield to one another. Whenever you get married, young couples that are here, when you get married, there's some things I'm going to promise you. You're going to have some difficulties. I'll promise you. If you're a human being, you're going to have some difficulties. But stick it out. Stick it out. Stick it out. Learn to communicate. Learn to talk. Learn to make your, your marriage work. Make it one of the most important, make it the most important thing that you're working on is your marriage. And there's different things that you can do in a, this isn't a marriage enrichment class tonight, but you learn to communicate. You learn to talk. We've talked before about how men and women are so different, how God made us, and thank God for the way that He made us. But men, the, the Lord told us to, to remember our wives and dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to them and as unto the weaker vessel. And how God has made us, well, men have these compartments. You know all this already. Like your brain is like a, like a waffle with compartments in the waffle. And men are, are one-track minds, so to speak. They have They can only think in little cubicles up there. You have a cubicle of that waffle, a little square in the waffle that, that all you can think about is work. When you're at work, it's all you think about. You know, or you go to a, watch a hockey game, that's all you can think about is hockey. You're in these cubicles here. And women's brains, they don't work like that at all. They're like spaghetti. Everything is mixed together and tied together and interconnected. And if they're at a hockey game, they could be thinking about everything else too. And we have fireworks a lot of times because we don't, we don't understand everything. We, we, we get, we get sidetracked. Another man put it this way. Men are like railroad tracks. They only have one track at a time. They have a track that's for work, a track that's for sports. And the problem is when your wife comes along and wants you to change your way of thinking or think about another subject, it's like derailing the train sometimes. You know, sometimes my wife will be talking about, she's the one most wonderful, she's the most wonderful wife I've ever married. And, <laughs> She's a wonderful lady. But she'll be talking about ten things at once, and I'll get a headache. 
only because I got to think about this, and I'm still thinking about this when she's thinking about this over here, talking about this. But I understand that. I understand that in my home, I just shake my head a lot. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But whatever it takes, whatever it takes to make your marriage work, you put everything into it. And as experts say, men have a compartment in their brain. Well, there's absolutely nothing in that compartment. They just go 100% offline. They're sitting there staring comatose sometimes. And your wife will say, what are you doing? Nothing. And you, what they don't understand is that you men really can do nothing. <laughs> Women are always thinking of something. Men can think of nothing from time to time. And in fact, it's important for men every now and then, just like a computer, to go offline for a little bit and have that blank stare and just go offline a little bit. And women just have to understand that. But nevertheless, work at your marriage. Let that chocolate and vanilla, let it blend, let it melt together and become something different than it was individually. He goes on to say in the seventh chapter, the sixth verse, And thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the fewest of all people. He talks about how he put his hand on them. Numbers to the Lord, it means a lot to other people. It means nothing to God. If you have a congregation, and there's a half a dozen of you there, I wish there was a thousand of you, but if that's what God has given you, don't be ashamed. Don't be upset. Love, the love of God, he said, I've chosen you, not because of your numbers. It has nothing to do with it. We have a, at home, we're kind of blessed. We have, uh, I guess about four young people if they come all the time, sometimes five if all of them came. New people that are coming. And my brother was telling me, one of the young girls, uh, the other day, uh, Brandon was uh, talking to her about coming to Spokane. And, uh, we are at our little local church. We're kind of music challenged. You know, it seems like there's some things we don't understand. You'll have a congregation where everyone's a musician, and then you have us, and other places too. And sometimes it's like that. And we're a little music challenge. And my brother Brandon, the local elder, was talking to this young girl who's been coming for off and on for a few months, and she's coming to Spokane. And he was explaining to her what camp is like. And, and he said something like this. He said, you know, sweetie, what you need to understand is you're really going to enjoy Spokane. There's beautiful music there. There's a lot of musicians there, and they're not, he said something like this, they're not, their singing isn't quite boring like it is here in our local assembly. There's some really lively people there and a lot of talent, and, she's, and the meetings are more lively and more fun. And She stopped and said, Brandon, you don't understand. I love our church. I love it here, she says. You know, and God said, I didn't choose you because of your numbers. I chose you and made you a special people over the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, but because the Lord loved you and because the Lord would keep the oath which he has sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh. Now know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God and faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him. 
And he's faithful to us. He's faithful to us. He has called us, not because of our numbers, but because he's faithful to us. I'm going to touch on another scripture just really, really quickly here, uh, if I can find it. But he talks about how he wants women to wear women's clothes and men to wear women's clothes. As simple as that. A very simple scripture. And, and what he means, what I believe he's talking about there is cultures change and so forth, but I'm going to touch on another hot subject here uh, for just... Oh, I went... Oh, did I say... Oh, okay. All right, let me rewind that a little bit. The Lord wants women to wear women's clothes. Yeah, and men's to wear men's clothes. Well, did, did I say that the opposite? Okay, excuse me, boy. I'm really, really sorry about that. That's a big blunder. But, you know, I'm going to touch another uh, hot topic here uh, just very briefly here, very briefly, but homosexuality. Once again, we don't want to be conformed to the world. Um, homosexuality, those that are uh, in that, uh, that practice, uh, that, that lifestyle, uh, first off, I want to say, and I don't, I'm not being funny about this, it's not really a lifestyle, it's a death style. But I want you to know this. First off, I don't judge those people. Uh, there are different reasons that causes people to be a certain way. But I want to tell you this. It's not right. It isn't the way that God has called us. And once again, in our world, my country, your country, they have become a political group of voters. Uh, uh, that, that people reach out to and embrace our administration promise to fight every unjust law against that lifestyle. But, you know, there is deliverance at the cross for those things. I'm not going to judge, but I want to say this. When something is wrong, it's wrong, and we have to say it. That lifestyle is wrong. I won't judge the individual, but I'll say this. There's deliverance, and that's what we want. We don't want to become a political group for you can pick any sin you want, and make a political group out of it. What, are, what if we had a political group of voters that's called uh, murderers? Is, is that next, you know? But nevertheless, we, we, we don't, I'm not judging anyone. We're not judging people. But we have to realize that that lifestyle is wrong and there's help at the cross for that. And we want to pray for people uh, that have that. I'm going to skip over to another verse and come back. Chapter 13, Deuteronomy 13. It talks about False prophets. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder come to pass wherever you spoken of these, saying, Let us go after other gods whose thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. What he begins to talk about is false prophets. The Bible talks about Jesus said the day would come when there would be false prophets. There would be many false prophets. And, folks, I want to say this. And we have a foundation that God has given us, and you can take it to the bank. The brethren that work together, they won't lead you astray. I'll put it this way. I won't lead you astray. If I do, I have a whole bunch of people that will stop me because God has placed that in the church. In the world, so I'm going to encourage you, don't follow people because they say they are a prophet. And the world is full of prophets today. I, I told you once before, I got a letter from someone inviting me to Atlanta, and they were having a seminar, uh, with, and they were inviting everybody in the country who thought they were an apostle. 
And I thought to myself, the last place I want to be in the face of the earth is in a giant room with a bunch of people who think they are apostles. You know, don't chase these people out there. We can be safe. God has given us an order and a pattern that we can walk on, and you can take it to the bank. There are things in the prophetic, the, the false prophet world, that can lead you astray, that can be, uh, how do I say it, impressive, uh, that can use mind tricks, that can use the power of suggestion, that can use group psychology, whatever. And, and if you're a little weak, you can believe it. You can fall for it. I'll give you an example. I'm going to put on my false prophet hat and give you an example. Because um, I'm not a prophet. I want everyone to think of something. I'm going to give you an example here how you can be misled. Um, I want you to think, you can even write this on a piece of paper if you want. I'm going to ask you three questions. I don't want you to tell your neighbor what your answer is. I just want you to think about this. You can even write it down if you want. Only three questions. First, I want you to think of a country that starts with the letter D. Now, don't tell anybody. Just think about it. Think of a country that starts with the letter D. Now, I want you to think of that country. I want you to think of the last letter in that country. And I want you to think of an animal that starts with that letter. And now, I want you to think of that animal. And I want you to think of a fruit that starts with the last letter of that animal. Think of a fruit. And think of a, that starts with the last letter in that animal. Now, how many picked the word Denmark? How many picked the word kangaroo? Raise your hand. How many picked the word orange? Raise your hand. I'm a prophet. I'm not a prophet. But I'm just trying to tell you there are things, just human behavior, just the way humans think. If I... If I stand here, and, and, I, and I don't want to make fun of people, if I, but if I stand here and I say, oh, I feel over here there's someone that's having problems with their right ankle, I'll bet you there's someone on that side that's got a problem with their right ankle. <laughs> got someone right here. In fact, right now, right now, everybody in this room, most of you in this room, right now, the back of your head is itching. <laughs> right now, can you feel it? It's itching, isn't it? Power of suggestion. You see, there's, there's things that false prophets can do, and you can fall for them. I shared with you one time, Debbie and I were invited to this group, and they were good people. We went there, a husband and wife prophet, and uh, we get there, and uh, invitation to someone else, and, and uh, the husband and wife, they prophesied over everybody in that room, everybody in that room. And Debbie and I were the only ones that didn't go up front. And the lady noticed that we weren't up there, and they were prophesying everything you could think of, and they didn't know us, so they turned around and... The lady looked at my wife and said, Lady, sister, I have a word from the Lord from you. You are a very shy and very quiet and introverted lady. But God is telling you to get out of your shell and speak to others. You know, something like that. And my, my sweet wife, she, thank you, you know. She didn't say a word. Just, just thank you very much. And when I left, I was driving home and I said, You know, honey, you're a lot of wonderful things. Quiet, shy, introverted. Those really aren't on the top of the list, you know. As you know, my wife, she's bubbly and outgoing. But you see, the thing that got me was these people meant well. 
You, they really meant well. God has given us prophets and apostles in the church and a fivefold ministry. You don't have to go somewhere else, if I can put it that way. We can thank God for what He's simply given us today and stay with it. Let's go back to the seventh chapter. The seventh chapter and touch on this for a little bit here. The fifteenth verse. The fifteenth verse. Actually, I'll go to the eighth chapter first and I'll come back. Eighth chapter, second verse. He's simply telling them to remember everything over and over again. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee, verse 2, these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and suffered you to hunger and to feed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make you know that man doth not live by bread alone. Jesus quoted that. But every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord uh, doth live. He told them, I've tested you through these years. Have you ever felt tested? Have there times when you really didn't feel like jumping up and down? You know, someone said, Debbie and I were reading the other day, if the limbs of the tree don't seem to go up, then the roots go down. If you don't feel like raising your hand sometimes, it might mean that your roots are going deeper. He has tested us. He said, I've tested you these 40 years to see what you're made out of. To feed you the Word of God. Verse 4, your raiment. He didn't grow old. He's reminding them upon you. Now, that sounds kind of cool, but I know there's a lot of women in this room that will say that would be horrible if your clothes didn't wear out. You know, I'll I'll stop. I'll stop right there. Verse 5, and thou shalt also consider in your heart as a man chasing the son, so thy Lord God chasteneth thee. From time to time, he chastens us. And then the next several scriptures, this is important too. Hey, I won't read them, but he tells them that, you know, don't, when good things happen to you, don't think to yourself, the power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Don't say to yourself, when good things happen, that, you know, I brought these things on myself. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which is sworn unto thy fathers as it is this day. Now the seventh chapter. I'm going to go to the seventh chapter, very important verse, verse 15. Brother Mervyn Sumble was quoting this actually, and others have touched on it already. A promise that he gave to them was this, And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness, and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest, upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. At that time in Egypt, they were having troubles with Ophthalmia, whatever that is, dysentery, smallpox, elephantitis was actually a big problem in Egypt at that time, and every other disease you could think of, but those were some main ones. And he said, I'll take away from you all the sickness, and I'll put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you know, upon you. I'll lay them upon all that hate thee. Now, I read the scripture to you, because that was a promise to the church as they entered the promised land. Folks, I'm looking for that. We are praying for that. Amen? Amen. I'm praying for all the promises of God. I'm not just treating God like an ATM machine. What can you give me? But He said it, not me. That He would take away these diseases of Israel. I realize we have prayer requests here. And we come up for prayer. And we're going to keep praying until we get victory. 
But we need to learn to believe together that He said, I will take away from you all of these sicknesses, these evil diseases that He calls of Egypt. In other words, these are diseases that belong to another people. And I want to say that to the Lord. Lord, these things don't belong to us. They belong to somebody else. And He said, I will take those things away. We need to have the faith to keep persevering to press into that place. Enter into that promised land where these things no longer have any power or authority over us. And I'm going to skip ahead here, verse 15, verse, no, excuse me, verse chapter 14, verse 22. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. He begins to talk about tithing as part of entering into the promised land. And I tell you, this is a, as you and I already know how wonderful tithing is. When we were, uh, I was in Africa, I haven't been in Africa for a while. I've only been there twice, but I remember my first time I went there, you deal with a lot of poverty and different things and you think, what can, you, you think, what can we do to make their, make the lives better of the people we minister to? Can you give them a million dollars? Can you give them a hundred thousand dollars? That'd make their life better. But then when you leave, that can be spent. But what can you do? What can you do to lift them out of the position that they're in? And you know what we, you know what we can do is the same truth everywhere. And that is simply teach people to tithe. That's it. And you know what? Have you noticed something else? The brethren, when they take an offering, they never say something like this. People, we want you to dig deep in your pocket. And we want you to give until it hurts. Go to the bank and borrow money and put it in that plate. Sow your seed and God will multiply it. You hear that on TV. You don't hear it here. But what do you hear here? Systematic, routinely tithing. You make a dollar, you give ten cents back to God. You give a tenth back to Him. Systematic, routine, regular tithing. We are not supposed to test the Lord. You're not supposed to say, God, if you love me, let whoever you were talking about the other day, the football team or hockey team, I don't even know, I don't even know who you were talking about, but don't let that team beat the other team in Vancouver. That's how dumb I am. I don't even know what you were talking about, but you're not supposed to say, Lord, you know, if you love me, let, let the Cubs win. I know the Cubs. They're in Chicago. By the way, Michael Jackson, you know what Michael Jackson and the Chicago Cubs have in common? Uh, they both wear one glove for no apparent reason. <laughs> but anyway, what I was going to say was this. Baseball glove, you know, grab, catching the ball. Uh, anyway, we're not supposed to test the Lord. Except for the Scripture. He says... He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now. I test you. Test me. I dare you, saith the Lord of hosts. I will not open you up and I will, if I will not open up to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. He says to you, you know, this is sound financial advice, isn't it? We are in the, the greatest recession the world has ever known right now. If you have a 401k program, it's now a 101k program. Everything is, that's another joke, everything is cut by about a fourth 
because of the recession. I took my grandson to Six Flags America, and it was Two Flags America now because of the recession. That was another joke. But nevertheless, I have to tell people when I'm telling a joke. But nevertheless, this is sound financial advice. Pay your tithe. Keep tithing in good times and bad times. And God has said, you have obligated me to take care of you and to bless you in these things. I think I'm going to speed this thing up a little bit here. He goes on in the 15th chapter of Deuteronomy, verse 11, to talk about remembering the poor, to reach out to your brother and the poor and the needy. This is something that we continue to do. He talks about the 19th chapter of Deuteronomy, verse 14. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou hast shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth you to possess. He talks about in Proverbs 22 about not removing the ancient landmarks, and we touched on that. Those landmarks that God has set, leave them alone. He told us to do things a certain way. Do it a certain way. Follow it. It's not our place to judge God. Uh, the 20th chapter of Deuteronomy, first verse, he simply talks about when you go to war and you're overwhelmed, just remember, I'm there with you. Don't count your enemy. Count me. Realize that I'm there. Skipping several chapters here. Uh, chapter 22, this is the one I was looking for earlier. Verse 5, where it says, The women shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that they do are an abomination to the Lord thy God. We already touched on that. Uh, chapter 26, the first few verses, he talks about the first fruits, and that's again speaking of tithing. Chapter 28 is all about the promises of blessings and the promises of curses. Chapter 29, verse 29, is what Brother Richard read this morning. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the things of this law. And then I want to go to the, probably the last verse, the 30th chapter of Deuteronomy, verse 15. He says this, chapter 30, verse 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil, and that I command you this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. Be faithful that thou may live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if your heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce you this day that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land where thou passest over the Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth, to record this day against you, that I have set before you life, death, blessing, life, death, blessing, and cursing. Therefore choose life that, that both thou and thy seed may live. And that's what God is saying here tonight. Everything I spoke to you about tonight, it all involves a choice. Choosing life. Choosing to be faithful. Choosing to not be conformed to the systems, the political system and the, the ways of the world. Choosing to follow uh, the, the ministries that God has set in place and not listen to other voices, so to speak, and get your mind and brain uh, uh, muddied up. 
Choosing is something as simple as to love your wife. Choosing to love your husband. Choosing to work things out together. Choosing to, when you go to bed at night, to go in that room and pray with those little kids, that little boy, that little girl, to tell them that Jesus loves them and how wonderful he is. None of these things happen on their own. Choosing to tithe. Choosing to be faithful. No, no fanfare. Just pay your tithe. Just pay your tithe. No noise about it. Choosing to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Amen. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.